0: Good morning, you're on the uh, radio with Attorney Vincent Davis, and the name of this show is Get Your Kids Back. The show is dedicated to helping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives, or at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight in the juvenile dependency courts. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Today's show, I'm going to be talking about a case that I did this week, and it it turned out to be a a fairly successful uh, case for my client, the mother of two small children, an eight-year-old and a two-year-old. And it all started because this woman did have some prior experience uh, with a juvenile dependency case probably about 10 years, 10 years ago. And so she knew the importance of educating herself and finding the right legal help. Um, so I'm gonna be talking about that case uh, as we go through the day, or go through the morning uh, during this hour. But first I'm gonna take a call. Um I have several people in the queue waiting. Uh, the first uh, telephone number I'm going to take a call from is area code uh, seven one four, ending in six seven. Good morning. You're on the radio with Vincent Davis.
1: Good morning, Vince. Hi. My name's Scott, and I had a child taken from a prior case myself. Um, I had a, a child adopted um, when I was uh, I was locked up in the penitentiary. So I had too much time on my hands to be able to get her back. So due to the fact that I had a prior case, they automatically took my son from me from birth when he was born. So what I did was I had to go through all the stuff that CPS asked me to do, you know, the case plan. I followed the case plan and then they just decided they didn't want to give him back to me. So I had a find an attorney to help me which was your office and then things started changing at that point but when you get caught up what I didn't realize is that when you have a a prior child dependency case that they automatically take your next child from you you know which was really a shock to me since I had totally changed my life around and become a a good member of society so you know all i can say is that how i find it is that they make the rules and they do what they want and if your social worker doesn't like you the reports are horrible and bad even though you're doing the work and it takes an attorney to straighten them out and start seeing the lighting you and to make a difference
0: Well, Scott, I want to tell you something. You know, one of the things that you initially said, although it happened in your case, it's not necessarily true just because you had a prior CPS case does not mean that they can come and take your child away from you, say a new child. They actually have to have a case against you where they can show some type of uh, risk of child abuse. So it's not necessarily true, but a lot of social workers, I think, make people believe that or try to make people believe that if you had a prior case, you automatically lose, you know, a new child born into your life, and that is not true. The other thing that I want to tell you is and you may not may may or may not have known this, if you are in custody, if you are in jail or state prison, and you and the child's mother catches a CPS case, you have the right to appear in court to write a letter to the judge and to all the attorneys and to make a plan for your child. See when let's the typical case is mother catches a case for physical abuse or domestic violence in a new relationship or drug abuse something of that nature and you're in you may be sitting in jail and you had nothing to do with the fact that the child was um taken away from the mother. So one of the things that you should if you're incarcerated or if you have family members that are incarcerated, you should know that that's not a basis to take the child away from the father. So um, the father can make arrangements to have that child placed with relatives and uh, basically not have that child placed in foster care. And therefore the father can make sure that his rights aren't terminated.
1: Right, right. Well, we we did that in this particular case, but what seemed to happen was that they just pre-adopted this child out to these people that they thought were suitable, and they made it so hard for my family members to try to fight and try to figure out the system that it was just difficult and they their hands were tied they didn't know what to do they couldn't afford a a good attorney and the attorneys that were given were just not applicable to the situation you know and not willing to help and it just was it was just a horrible experience although my experience this time by getting an attorney i was able to get my child back and now the mother's still having the same problems that she had the first time. It wasn't due to domestic violence. It was due to drug abuse. And I got the child back into my custody due to the fact that I found an attorney that would help me. And that was the only domestic me this time. So anyway, I, and, just and we re- I just you
0: were know, we go ahead. We represented, you in, we represented you in getting this child back, right? Yes, she did. How okay. is your, and your, your the
1: child doing? Form. The child's doing great. He's right now sitting down watching the Mickey Mouse House Club, and I'm getting ready to feed him breakfast, and we're gonna move on with our day.
0: And well, I Scott, thank you be for
1: blessed, You know, so thank you. All right, Scott, I really thank you for calling and sharing. Okay, thank Alrighty.
0: you. Okay. Bye bye. So this case I wanted to tell you about and talk about today was um, a mother called me maybe about on Monday or Tuesday. And she still had her children, but she told me that she had just gotten notice from a social worker that they were going to come out and take her two children and place them into foster care apparently there had been an ongoing investigation regarding this uh, woman and her children and the father of one of the children who was, um, uh, well, he's nowhere to be found. He was being, he's law enforcement is looking for him right now. Apparently there's an arrest warrant out for him. Um, One of the first things that she did was she uh, was calling around to find a private attorney. And, um, I was one of the private attorneys she called, and uh, eventually she decided to hire me. And she asked me the question: Do I have to turn the children over? And I told her, "Well, if if there is a warrant for the children to be detained by the social worker, we're gonna have you're gonna have to obey that warrant, and we'll have to go to court and you know try to sort this out." Um, I asked her. You know, what were the possible allegations that the social worker was uh, making against her um, since she had the children and the social worker had been investigating the case for about, I think she said about 30 to 45 days, which is a long time to be investigating a case and not take the children out of the mother's custody. And then all of a sudden decide, oh, I got to take. The, you know, the children out of the mother's custody. Luckily, she had called me before that had happened because I immediately placed a call to the social worker's um, voicemail. And I told the social worker that I wanted to talk to the county council. Uh, who represented this social worker? Because I was concerned that these children weren't going to be placed with relatives, and and, and there was a slew of relatives, um, actually on both sides of the case, uh, both sides of the family. Um, I got a call back from the social worker who said, uh, "You know, we." Uh, we're going to place the children with relatives. I happened to mention, you know, the law, which is Section Welfare and Institutions Code Section 309 um, that I wanted to talk to the county council about. And uh, the social worker called and left me a voicemail saying that, we, you know, they're, they're going to place the children with a relative. And they placed the children with a friendly relative who happened to be the mom's sister. The mom's sister is married. I think it has a child or two of her own, uh, both she and her husband are, you know, Fine members of the community they both work, and they they both indicated that they could take care of the child. So that was the first step. It was before the first juvenile dependency hearing. Um, So a lot of times if you call our offices or call an attorney who's, you know, experienced in this area, uh, they might be able to nudge uh, the social worker's attorney um, to uh, recommend to the social worker or to remind the social worker that, hey, it's the law. We can't place just dump these kids into foster care we have to look for relatives and to this social worker's credit um, he found a relative who was able to take care of the children Um, right now I'm going to stop that story and I'm going to take another call it's area code 818 ending in one three hello Hello. good morning you're on with hello Good
2: Good good morning good
0: morning how are you
2: I'm good, Mr. Davidson. And you?
0: Good. Did you call in to uh, share a story or ask a question?
2: I um, to share a story that happened to me a few months ago. Okay, um, go ahead. I had a son, in September twenty eighth, two thousand fifteen. Just to make it short, um, hospital made a big old mistake on my lab. Um, hospital, um, called social workers, social workers took advantage when I was at the hospital. Um, came to my mom's house and my husband's house. They threatened me, threatened them to take away my kids. They sent me to court. Um, the judge didn't do anything in the first time because she had no, I mean, what can I say? She had no opinion what to do with my case. So she did it for a second hearing. On the second hearing, um, she made um, social workers drug test me um, every week just to find as I was doing drugs or anything, which I never did any drugs. It was just a mistake from the hospital um, because my son came out negative and I came out positive And, I mean, that's a confusion. I mean, so... I went through the social for, like, almost six months with them. It was really, really hard. They came to my house all the time to check. They wanted to check if I did anything, like drugs. Um, they threatened my mom. They even told her she did drugs. Um, they threatened my husband. They made him test to see if he did drugs, which he came out negative, too. After the third hearing, um, the attorney from Children's Services decided to do a follicle test on me. Um, my follicle test came out negative, and my my um, um my case was dismissed for no evidence. Well, you said
0: that you said something interesting. You said that the, at the beginning, the hospital made a mistake. What was the mistake they made?
2: they made a urine um they got somebody else's urine that wasn't mine at the beginning
0: oh i see and they said mm-hmm. that uh you tested positive for drugs
2: yes um when you when, when you really
0: did, when you really didn't test positive for drugs
2: no um i tested positive on drugs but my tongue came out negative
0: okay but did you, was the mistake that the hospital made? Was the mistake that the drug testing uh, by the hospital of your urine uh, was a mistake, and they used someone else's, to sh- and it came up positive? For
2: yes, yes, because since huh? I got there, I was having contractions. Then nurse was sending all my lab work to the other girl, and she was sending my lab work to the to me from the other person that side of me. It was a county hospital, huh. so. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and and so they called the social workers, and the social workers started a case against you?
2: Yes. The next day, when I was out of six-hour surgery with three um, blood transfusions, they came to my room to threaten me.
0: How did they threaten you?
2: They they were going to take my kids away.
0: Um, did you try to explain to them that this must be a mistake, and what was their reaction?
2: Yes, I did. Um, no, that I did drugs. That I did drugs the day when I came into labor. That they were sure and, that I did drugs.
0: And how long did this ordeal last for you going to the uh, the children's court?
2: Um, five months.
0: So you and your husband were put to the ringer for five months. Yes. The end of at the end, what happened? Did the judge just throw the case out?
2: Yes, she did because I did a follicle test. I ended up saying I never did drugs. Never. Did drugs. Uh,
0: you mean a hair follicle test?
2: Yes, a hair. Uh,
0: and that goes back. I um, can go back months. And yes. You did the hair follicle test, and uh, it came out clean, huh?
2: Yes. yes.
0: Well, good for you. Good for you. Um, you know, I I'm sorry that you went through this. It's uh, quite a harrowing experience to be put through this for uh five months on false charges. Yes. You know? Well, thank you for calling in and sharing your story with us.
2: Thank you. Thank
0: you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hello? hello this is attorney vincent davis
3: good morning this is daniel how are you doing today
0: today? i'm doing good daniel how are you did you call in to share a story or did you want to ask a question hello okay it seems like we've lost daniel I'm going to take another call from area code 310, ending in 9-9. Hello, you're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Good morning, Mr. Davis. Can you hear me again? I can hear you loud and clear. Perfect. Who Thank you very much. Call? Did you call in to share a story or ask a question? Uh, share a story. Go ahead.
4: Uh yes. Uh well Mr. Davis, you have um Give me a minute. I'm sorry, I apologize. <laughs> represented me on uh on a case with the uh department of um CPS and at the beginning of your show you um talked about the tyrannical system that uh the government has set up, and I couldn't agree more with the description of uh of this system it's it's really tyrannical it's really uh in my mind and my observations, corrupt and uh it doesn't really it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's set up to help anybody the outset but rather um to basically ruin people's lives uh, i really don't know what the that uh, to Here, hold on a second. Can you hear
0: me? I can hear you loud and clear, but you had gone out there for a second. I
4: apologize for that. Yeah, my I was driving, and my car switched to my Bluetooth. Oh, so go ahead. Uh, continue, and, with uh, story. And, uh, and um, I was accused of basically everything under the sun. Uh, they um, basically wanted you know, to take my children away permanently and I was able to hire you and, uh, I was able to, so far, uh, my case isn't completely closed yet, but, um, to basically have been able to show the court that I'm, I'm not the person that they wanted to paint. And unfortunately the, the, uh, they, they believed everything that the mother, uh, tried to manipulate. And, uh, you know luckily, I was able to hire a private attorney to defend myself, and I just wanna say that without proper representation, there's no way uh that you' gonna anybody's gonna be able to fight the system really unfortunately the the public defenders that they provide uh although they're they're good people probably on the on the uh, in general. Uh, they're just overwhelmed. They don't have time to sit down and read everything and provide a proper defense. That you know, they're good attorneys, I'm sure some of them, but they just don't have the the time. They have uh, they're overwhelmed with cases. They just want to move to the next and the next because they have um, you know they have 50 cases ahead of them, and why they don't have time to do much of anything with any case. So hiring a private attorney, it's it's a must if you really want to get your you know case heard or have a, any chance against the system.
0: Do you believe that the uh, social workers have treated you unfairly in your
4: case? I believe so. I believe they've been very biased. Um, they uh, they don't seem to care about the truth except uh what what the mother says and uh and when when i try to explain things it it it's always turned around social workers again uh i don't think that they're bad people i don't think that they're uh in general um uncaring i i also think that the system grinds them down and uh overwhelms them with cases which is well known uh, they've even Social workers have even had a strike against the county uh for their workload and other and other reasons uh but they're just overwhelmed as well that they really don't have time to really dig in and ask questions as they should to figure out the you know the truth behind things uh and I think that uh you know, they're overwhelmed and you know I think they they i think they they start resenting the system after a while, and they have to take it out of something. Uh, for example, I've, uh, many times I've tried to call a social worker, leave a message, the two or three messages. Am I might not hear for them uh, for a week. Um, when there were orders from the court, for example, for uh, supervised monitor visitations uh, instead of following the court order, you know, they would give me an hour when the court uh called for three hours and uh if I didn't like it well, too bad, too sad, nothing's gonna happen to them uh, and you know there's no re- there's no recourse for anybody to, that i that I know to complain to the social worker if you try to talk to their their supervisor you know sometimes your supervisor's not available that's a it's a very very uh Poorly run, poorly designed system that um, that unfortunately you know we have to deal with. And I I think you you're very right at the beginning uh, of your program when you talk about when we really need to go to the ballot box ballot box and change the system. It's just grinding people down, unfortunately.
0: You know, in your case. Did you have problems with an an
4: ex uh, significant other? Oh, absolutely. This is all this this case comes from. In fact, I'm still dealing with it, and it's uh, it's been about the manipulation uh, of the children. Uh, I'm I'm a working professional. I've never had uh, any uh, any drug problems in my life. Um, I'm a licensed professional, so I can't. Be involved in any of that if I want to keep my livelihood, I make a good living but um that, you know it's it, it, you know, this is just no there's there's just no reason for this case to you know have gone the way the way it had gone, and there's been a lot of manipulation from the from the from the children's mother of course
0: you know i wanna share a story with you to let you know that you're not alone in the situation. I met with a gentleman just a couple of days ago. Um he was referred to me by his uh family law attorney uh and uh he told me he says you're not gonna believe the case that the social workers and the mother have contrived against you know this client. Well he um He came to my office and um, he told me this incredible story. A few months ago in family law court, the mother had moved uh, the court, filed an RFO to get custody of the child and to stop the father's visits. And she had alleged domestic violence against the father. And um, she had made all all of these allegations stalking beating hitting uh causing bruises and the uh the father denied all of it and um but the the weird thing about the case was that the father and the mother even though they were married they were getting divorced But when um, they were out of court, they were meeting for rendezvous, for sexual rendezvous. They were still seeing each other, um, but in court they were fighting. And the mother was making all of these allegations. Well, some of the allegations she made against the father um, doing certain things uh, happened to be at times where they were at a um, local hotel together. Now, luckily for the father, um, he and his attorney went to the hotel and got the video of the mother, he and the mother, you know, checking in and and checking out of the hotel during the times that the mother said he was beating her and stalking her on the street. Well, they showed that... um, they showed that video to the judge in a three-day trial uh, the, in the family law court. The judge found that uh, the, you know the mother was not being truthful. She was not credible. She had lied under oath. All of these different things. Flash forward a few months. Now the father, excuse me. Now the mother has gone to DCFS. DCFS, and has alleged that the father is sexually abusing uh, his three-year-old daughter. Now, the social worker, the, the the mother never tells the social worker about what happened in family law court. The social worker, without contacting the father and without even talking to him about the case, stops his visits and files a case against him. He and his attorney try to his family law attorney try to explain to the social worker what had happened in family court just you know at the end of two thousand and fifteen. Well, the social worker you know totally ignored it uh is continuing on with the case, and the father has to show up in court uh next week because uh, he has lost all visitation and contact with his child because the mother has alleged that he has sexually abused this three-year-old child. Now, I asked the father, I said, do you have the transcripts of the hearing in family law court he reached down in his briefcase and he pulls out you know probably five inches of transcripts from a three-day trial i said do you still have that videotape he hands me the dvd of um the videotape and what the family law attorney had done was match up the mother's allegations with times and dates to show the mother and the father coming back and forth, checking in and checking out of this hotel. I mean, they were meeting on multiple occasions during the week. So um, we're going to be using that uh, evidence in the juvenile dependency court. And I think, and the only thing that I can think of is that this mother is trying to uh, get the father out of the picture um because she allegedly has a new boyfriend and wants the new boyfriend to adopt the child and they want to live a happy, you know, life without the real father of the child being involved. She's using um, this to alienate him from the case or trying to alienate him from the case, which is going to be, I think, extremely hard, but it's just incredible that the social worker won't even look or consider these allegations Um of what happened in the family law case. So, you know, one parent, sometimes mothers, a lot of times are manipulate situations like our last callers case, and they get them into juvenile dependency case and they try to bury them. They try to stop the visits, you know, all that type of thing, you know, by the way, stopping visits uh, with a father who has a significant visitation has a significant impact on the child support that's going to be ordered to be paid in the family law court. The less visitation the father has, the more child support that he has to pay. That may be another reason for a lot of uh, parents making false allegations against uh, prior uh, spouses. I'm going to take another call right now. It's from area code 760-760. Ending in 2-5. Good morning. You're on the radio with Attorney Vince Davis. Good morning. Hello? Hello. Hello. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. How are you doing, Mr. Davis? Good. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. All right. Did you have a, a question or a story to share with us?
3: Um, I want to share a story. Um, go ahead. I had a case in, uh, juvenile dependency as well. And, uh, your law firm had represented me. And I also work with, uh, DPSS. I'm an independent contractor. And, uh, the story was, this one just kind of caught me by surprise, um, uh, teenage girl was taken from her home, uh, false allegations were assumed and uh, they did the same protocol and then uh, a father ended up in prison or uh, county jail under uh, sexual for false sex allegations. Uh, he was released and, and they proceeded in the juvenile dependency court And uh, eventually the daughter came forward and said she wanted to admit that the allegations were false, but she didn't know who to talk to. And uh, given everything going forward, she did not want to do the testing for uh, the sexual assault at the hospital, and that's when she wanted to admit the claims at that point. Uh, it's just a really ironic story, and the social workers still try to proceed, given that uh, the child wants to come forward at that point in the juvenile court.
0: And so what happened?
3: At this point, uh, I don't know. I don't get to follow each case, case by case. Um, I'm assuming the child may have been dismissed. The case may have been dismissed. Uh the kid, the kid herself was having other issues, and so she was transferred, and so I wouldn't have been able to follow up. Uh, I even believe she might have been detained and took the juvenile home. I'm not sure.
0: So it was, uh, it was a
3: very, very ironic
0: case. Now, what was your involvement in the case? Were you a relative or a parent?
3: Uh, no, this... I work in the field, and so when I see certain cases and I hear the phone calls, I do the the intake with the social workers that call from the county. And so I actually get to hear several different cases. And this one right here was just one that kind of caught me by surprise because uh, the allegations were made and then the father wasn't immediately arrested. Um, you're talking about a teenage girl. I think she was 12, 13 years old. And then eventually he was arrested and the proceedings kept going forward. Uh, It just all didn't match up for some reason. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That happens a a lot in our judicial system, especially in juvenile court. When people, you know, raise the sex abuse uh, sign, sometimes we kind of go kind of crazy, uh, you know, overboard you know because we want to make sure that we want to protect the children and and, and we should but um, a lot of times a lot of times people social workers don't stop and look at the evidence and it's really important if you've been if you've been accused we we had a case this week Um, I wasn't the trial attorney from my office another attorney did the trial but this guy um, our client was the father of two children and the mother had two other children and uh, the two older children and the mother concocted a story um, of our client sexually abusing the two older children. And, of course, if he had sexually abused the two older children, um, the two younger children, which were actually his biological children, uh, were also in danger. And um, I, I met with the guy many times at my office and went over evidence and went over things that had happened in the past. And when the case was taken to trial, um, one of the alleged victims, you know, couldn't keep the story straight. So she was deemed not credible. Um The second victim, it was a similar thing. It just wasn't credible. It didn't stand up to all of the evidence that we had gathered, and we had gathered a lot of evidence on this case, and we had put a lot of work into it. In the end, the judge threw out the sexual abuse allegations, and uh, our client was then allowed to start visiting with his children, um, again, unmonitored, and we're going to be moving to court to try to get his overnight visits back, but it's just right. you know inc- incredible. And, and and this guy's case has been taken, <clears throat> you know, it's been probably about six months, six wow. months, and yeah. he has he has had to go under the scrutiny of being a sexual perpetrator against children all of these right. months, not really see, not really seeing his children. Um, but luckily, we were able to win that case. Right. Now, um, let, let, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Does child abuse ever happen? Yes. Does uh do people sexually abuse children? Yes. But we're dedicated to helping those people that are falsely accused. So, right. in this particular case, this guy was falsely accused. And now, you know, after we, you know, won the case uh, in court, one of the interesting things is my attorney told me, he, she said, um, you know, no one apologized to him, you know, mm. as, as if, you know, case over, you can leave now and, you know, go about your yeah. business. But I, I've, um, actually, I've actually... I've actually sat with this guy in my office, in my conference room, and he has just broken down and cried because he can't believe that someone would do this just to gain advantage over him or just to get back at him. In this particular case, one of the things that he always believed – caused these allegations to come up was the mother was trying to get more child support from him. They had broken up. They had just broken up. He left her. He was the sole supporter of the mother and the four children, even though only two of them were his. And he, you know, stopped doing that. And uh, his payback was uh, false uh, sexual abuse allegations. And sometimes, uh, you know, I, I asked the attorney on this case, I said, uh, you know, what did you get? The feeling that you get from the social worker—they still believe that it happened. Mm. No matter, you know, no, no matter what the judge said that it didn't happen, they still right. believe that it happened. Right. So wow. it's a very tough—it's a tough situation to be accused of something, you know, that you didn't do. And those types of cases happen, you know, more than we think. And until right. uh, you know, you're falsely accused of something you probably don't appreciate it as much. I a few months ago, I had a client who was accused of something, and um, he told me, he says, you know, I always thought people that were accused of these things actually did it, and they were the <laughs> scum of the earth. You know, they were the yeah. scum of the earth. And he said, now here I am being accused of something of something falsely, and mm-hmm. I know that there are people out there looking at me like I'm the scum of the earth. Yeah. yeah. And, and he says, she said, you never really know and you never really appreciate something until it happens to you. But you could say that for anything in life. Listen, thank you for calling and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mister Davis. Bye bye. Bye bye. So. Getting back to my original story uh, for today about the woman who uh, called me before her children were taken, um, to the social worker's credit, as I said, the social worker placed uh, the, chil- the two children, I think they're eight and two years old, with the maternal aunt. So, fast forward a couple of days, we go to court for the arraignment detention hearing, which is the first hearing, um, and you get to see all the charges or all the allegations against the you know against the parent and uh on her case the paperwork was about a quarter of an inch thick now when i originally talked to her you know she she didn't know what was happening and she couldn't imagine what uh, the allegations were against her and what the evidence was against her. And unfortunately, you don't find that out until the first day. One of the things I want to tell all the listeners that if you ever appear at an arraignment detention hearing, um, you have the automatic right to continue it one day, you know, it's nothing like getting, you know, a quarter inch or a half inch package of discovery and evidence against you, and then being told, well, you have to prepare that morning to go to court, you know, to appear before the judge within, you know, an hour or two. It's a very difficult thing to do, even if you're Johnny Cochran. But we we got the package against her and we reviewed it, and uh, there was a lot of a lot of evidence. Um, a lot of circumstantial evidence about uh, allegations of her being a risk to the child. They really didn't say that she had abused the child or the children. Um, They really didn't say that... um she they, didn't, they were trying to say that she had a drug problem, which was uh, kind of funny because she had taken a drug test for the social worker. Apparently, she tells me that it came out clean, uh, but the social worker never mentioned that. Instead, the social worker mentioned the report several times, mother has a history of methamphetamine use which the mother told me was true 10 years ago but you know she didn't have it. she hadn't used drugs in about 10 years and she tested clean so i asked the county council during the lunch break i said hey would you call the social worker and find out about the drug test that she took because it's not mentioned in any of the paperwork and see if we can get a copy of that brought over or faxed over because I'd like to mention that to the judge because it was all negative about the mom and I wanted to mention to the judge, hey, my client voluntarily drug tested two days ago and if she's such the you know drug abuser, she should be testing dirty. And of course, to their credit, they brought the piece of evidence and they gave it to us at one thirty, and it said that mom had tested, that she had tested clean. But there was a lot of other evidence and I sat down and I had a conversation with the children's attorney. At every deta- at every juvenile dependency hearing, the children are appointed one or more attorneys. In this case, the court had, had appointed a woman to represent uh, the two children. Now, minors' attorneys, um, you know, they're across the board. There's some that are very good, are some that are very bad, and there's a lot in between, just like everything else in life you know, on a bell curve, statistical bell curve. But this woman, um, and I did not know her, and uh, she was very reasonable. And uh, she said to me, she said, Mr. Davis, I made my pitch to her about having the children released back. And um, part of my pitch was, hey, if you don't agree to release the children back to the mom today, would you support the mom moving in with the maternal aunt and uncle who had the children placed with them. And she told me yes. Um, And mainly because uh, I think it was because of the clean drug test and the allegations, you know, the insinuations about her being a drug addict were false. And a lot of the other allegations were allegations of omission uh, rather than commission, meaning she didn't really do anything. She let things happen in the house that the uh, father of the youngest child did to the children, but it wasn't really anything that she had done affirmatively to injure or hurt these children. So anyway, we uh, appeared in front of the judge at the detention hearing, and the judge uh, made a a ruling that she wasn't going to return the children to the the mother that first hearing, um, but that she was going to allow the mother to live with the aunt and uncle um, if the aunt and uncle uh, agreed to that, because only the aunt was at court. Her husband was at work. And, of course, he had to agree before the mother moved in. But she also recommended, or the judge also ruled, um, that the mother could spend the night over the aunt and uncle's house um, on a monitored basis until we come back to court if the uncle didn't you know, agree to let her live there. So that turned out to be, um, uh, at this early stage of the case, what I think was a good result for our client. Uh, We've come up with a strategy uh, that hopefully, within the next four to six weeks, we can get these children back to our client in our own home. So I just wanted to share that with the listeners, because it is important that um, you start laying a foundation even before you go to the first hearing. And I like clients who call me, you know, when they still have the children or when the children are just getting detained so that I can give them some advice and help strategize and set up the case for what's gonna be a, hopefully a positive turnout at each hearing that we go to. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of clients want to hire you and they expect you to hit a grand slam home run the first hearing. Uh, the courts and most judges in these types of cases don't, uh, you know, allow grand slams in the first hearing. Um, but so you have to get used to the singles, the doubles, the triples, and, uh, when your case that way, little by little, because it's hard sometimes with the mountain of evidence and the evidentiary rules that are in, in my opinion, you know, against parents to hit this grand slam. So a lot of times it's, figuring out a strategy where you can win little by little, hearing by hearing. Um, I'm going to take one more call. It's area code 818, ending in 5-4. Hello. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis.
5: Good morning, Mr. Davis. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. How are you doing?
5: Um, I'm wonderful. My name is Jamie Wakefield, and I wanted to start off with um, saying something on behalf of all parents before I got to my story, and I know we have a little bit of time here. I personally feel, and I feel that I speak for all parents when I say this, that DCSF needs to maintain their agenda to protect and serve the community under non-false pretend pretenses. Their original agenda, family preservation, used to be to protect the children. However, that is hardly their agenda now. Children's court needs to become an open court, and it seems that the individuals appointed by DCSF to represent the state have been diluted by the monetary values. Therefore, they are no longer representatives of DCSF. They have become representatives of themselves. And I hate to say this, but this seems like a very bad pandemic
0: you know that the concept of the open court has been excuse me talked about you know um when you don't have an open court um you people get the feeling that it's kind of a star chamber where the you know, no one knows and, and no one's holding anyone accountable. And sometimes you get that feeling in juvenile courts. Um, I, I practice in juvenile courts, you know, up and down the state of California. And uh, I, I can see how people feel that because I feel it sometimes. Um, but, you know, it's nothing like having an open courtroom where the public and the press can come in and comment and hold accountable um, uh what is happening uh, in our judicial system the press is extremely important in my opinion and plays an important role in every aspect of our life you know you can just look at the current presidential um elections or you know the presidential campaigns and the press is a significant contributor to um you know on both sides of the fence and it gives people information as to what's happening in juvenile court in Los Angeles County, the press aren't allowed unless you get a special order and there's a special procedure for allowing press to come in and report on a case. Uh, by law, um, the uh, juvenile dependency proceedings are confidential. I don't think that confidentiality works to the benefit of families. It may work to the benefit of keeping a child's name out of the uh, public newspaper or something but uh i i think it does more harm than good there was a rumor i heard and i it's it's just a rumor uh, i don't know this for a fact that the prior presiding judge of the juvenile court um in los angeles uh tried to uh, uh help legislate or help develop some legislation that the courts would be uh juvenile courts could be opened uh, to the public or in some fashion, some type of limited public or press, you know, allowed in the courts. And what had happened was um, I guess the legislature took up the idea. Uh, I guess initially they liked the idea, but when the legislative research was being done to draft such legislation, Uh, The rumor is they got a call from the federal government in Washington, D.C., and all of these cases are funded, and the laws basically arise out of federal laws with the, I believe it's the Health and Human Service Agency. And um, when the Health and Human Service Agency found out that we were going to try to make these proceedings public or opened up a little bit, um, they they said well you can do that but if you do that we're going to pull all of our federal funding and from my understanding juvenile dependency court systems in California and in every state you know relies on heavy federal funding and so um, I think that in order to change that to get these courts open we're going to have to do that on a federal level right to our congressmen our senators. <clears throat> and try to change that particular law, making juvenile dependency court a secret. Jamie, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but go ahead with your story.
5: Now, now, as far as my story goes, I'm going to try to make it as short and sweet as possible. Now, I have had four prior children removed from me. Due to false allegations, they had no with withholding evidence and they kept my children. Those four children are residing with my mother. So I basically refused to even fight for those children because I was frustrated with the system and that anything could happen to a parent like this. So I had two other children after this incident, and what I want to really touch on is that it seems like the HIPAA privacy laws must apply in these cases, due to the fact that our medical record numbers, or let me say mine personally, my medical record number had been flagged by DCSF as a child abuser from previous from the four previous cases that I just spoke about, and when I went to have my son name is Jalen. When I went to have Jalen at the doctor's office, or excuse me, when I went to have an ultrasound, um, when I came out of the ultrasound, I was standing in front of the nurse, and she was on the phone with a social worker, and I heard her say, and I'm looking directly at her, say, yes, Jamie Riggins is here. And then she said, well, I can't tell you the sex or anything about the baby because she's not out yet. Little did she know I was standing in front of her listening to this conversation. When she noticed that I was standing there listening, she hung up the phone. Then when I went to have the child uh, three months later, I tested clean, and the child tested clean. However, there was a call for general neglect to Holy Cross Hospital. How do you call general neglect on a child that is a newborn because of someone's past history of what's under their medical records. This should not be, but it is. And this is happening to many parents all across the nation. That's why I said this is some sort of a pandemic. Um, the thing that scares me most is that once they seen that um, the social worker was not going to detain my child at the hospital, I overheard the nurse on the phone by my bedside stating, excuse me, the charge nurse, stating that they were going to find another way to take my child which is illegal, and that is basically what happened. I had my child, took my child home, and then um, uh, about a month or two later, I um, took him in for a penis circumcision gone wrong, and apparently Children's Hospital decided to detain my child and say that my child had been abused for a penis circumcision gone wrong. And however, that was not, that is not what they detained my child for. They detained my child for failure to thrive. And the thing that is really scary is that I took my child into the hospital because he had something wrong with him. And I was a nervous, scared parent that his skin was coming off of his penis. The fact that I left that hospital, and I didn't sign any paperwork and decided to go to uh, his doctor the next morning, which I had every right to do. They told the, the social worker at Children's Hospital called up and said that my child had been neglected. And the police came to my house and basically told me that I had to take my son back to Children's Hospital where he was detained. When they got the child, I did not see my child for 4 months. This
3: wow,
0: has that's been an ongoing a, case. That's incredible. I want to thank you for sharing that with us. Um, you know, are you interested in getting in the political side of uh uh of changing laws?
5: Yes, I am. And In okay. fact, I am at this point getting ready to create an organization of my own to help families get their children out of the foster system.
0: You know, that's a, that's something that I would like to help you do. Would you give me a call at, your office, at my office next week?
5: Uh, yes, I would. Yes, I would.
0: Well, thank you, Jamie, for calling in and sharing. Um, we have to wrap up, and I have some few comments to make before we end the show. But thank you for calling.
5: Thank you so much.
0: Before we uh, end the show, I, there's a couple of things that I want to mention. I mention mention these things uh, at the end of every show. Um, if you have a juvenile dependency case, if you're a, a, a parent or a relative, or if you know somebody that has a juvenile uh, dependency case, Please stress to them that they need to get expert and experienced legal help. And the faster you do it, the better. A lot of times people come to me after they have been in the system um, for many months or, you know, a year, and they come to me and they want me to try to get their children back. It's hard to do sometimes. Because a lot of the things that have happened previously, um, I would have done differently. So think about getting that help right up front. It will save you a lot of heartache in the long run. The second thing you have to do if you have or are involved in one of these cases, if you have to get information, try to educate yourself so that you can have intelligent discussions with your attorney about the who, what, where, when, why, how of the case. Now, you can get this information on the Internet. Everybody's on the Internet. We can get the Internet on any device you have, on your phone, on your tablet, on your laptop, on your desktop. Google knows all. The other thing that's a resource, a free resource, um that it's for it's for attorneys really, but I think that it helps uh I've cut a lot of articles or explanations out of there and sent them to clients. It's called the dog book, DOG. So if you just Google the juvenile dependency dog book, I think that that will come up. And I think I asked my um my my internet uh web guy, Nelson, uh to post this dog book at our website for our radio show, where you can look at it and download it. It's a free resource in California. And hopefully, Nelson, and you're listening today, you can make sure that that dog, that that dog book is... Um, on the site I just got a message from Nelson who says yes it's on the site So go to the site uh, talk radioexperts and find out uh, how to download that book and look at it and but you also have to get information you can't get it in a vacuum because you're probably not a trained lawyer talk to your lawyer strategize with your lawyer ask him or her the who what where when why and how of every case or what of what's going to be done in your case Um, The last thing that I want to mention is vote. Please register to vote. I was on social media today, and and I shared on my own Facebook site a a link for registering online for uh, uh, the primary elections coming up. Uh, So remember to vote. Remember to do this and register online. Uh, The last thing I want to mention is um, we want to elect family-friendly state legislators, and we want to represent family-friendly judges. Judges are elected or appointed, and if they're appointed, they face re-election. So remember, you you have the power, and the power is your vote. Please register. We'll see you next week on the radio at 8 a.m. on Saturday. Bye-bye.